0: Welcome to The Leadership Mind with Massimo Bacchus. This show is all about the mindset of leadership, the stories, assumptions, self-limiting beliefs and perspectives that either create or destroy your ability to lead. In this podcast, we'll speak with experts in leadership development, coaching, learning and development, talent management, human resources, and most of all, from those in the arena, the leaders themselves. By trade and training, I'm an executive and team coach and leadership development facilitator with a relentless curiosity and passion for helping people, teams, and organizations thrive in pursuit of their vision and purpose. The pursuit of purpose is a combination of doing your actions and behaviors and being how you accept and allow. The mind is where the connection between our being and doing and our intent and actions occurs. The goal is to bring you new perspectives, insights, and practices to help you lead authentically, navigate your career intentionally, and grow high-performing teams successfully. My hope is that in these episodes, you will witness humility, where we celebrate our failures as much as our successes, curiosity, where we share wisdom and insights openly, and community, where we all share in our growth together. Let's explore the leadership mind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Mind Podcast. I'm your host Massimo Bacchus, and I am joined by my friend Keith Hildesheim. Keith is a strategic learning and development leader focused on developing a culture of learning and teaching with the organizations he serves. He's an expert in building L and D teams and their experiences, and most recently, he's been leading one of the core learning and development teams at Sloan Consulting, focused on learning programs for consultants, sellers, recruiters and business operations leaders, and more. He's also passionate about bringing his knowledge and experience in human psychology to improve the workforce, well-being, and inclusivity. And the one thing I know about Keith is that he is uh, endlessly creative when it comes to creating learning initiatives and programs. One of the best I've ever seen do it. Keith, welcome. Happy you're here.
1: Thanks, Moss. Good to be here. So appreciate you having me. It's great to see you. Uh,
0: Definitely. Um, Let's start off by digging in. You, the great innovative mind of Keith Hillesheim, What's the origin story? Where does this come from? How do we how do we get to um, this place where we experience some some really game changing learning programs that, that come out of your mind? Wow, that's quite the compliment. Um, so I come from a background.
1: I, I started in a non traditional learning and development career path. Um, I'll start when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I got really interested in. Developing multimedia for everything from our assemblies to our cheerleading squads' dance routines, and uh, I loved it. I fell in love with it. I was a musician, and um, we did a bunch of fun skits and videos and things like that. And I, uh, I went off to college, had no
0: clue what I was going to study. Hang on a second. Let's pause here. Yeah. Uh, Back in high school, what were some of your inspirations that, uh, that that kind of drove that creativity then?
1: Ask that question one more time.
0: What were some of your inspirations that drove the creativity around the music and the multimedia work you were doing in high school? Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, I don't know. It, it's a good question. I think I, I think I just kind of fell in love with playing guitar, writing songs, um, and inevitably, when you're when you're uh, an angsty teenager, you feel like you should start recording some of those. Songs and some of that that music, and so I, I learned how to do some audio uh, editing because uh, me and a buddy started recording uh, some songs that I had written, and he had he had a phenomenal voice, so I, I asked him to sing for me, and we we started learning some 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 of that, and then that just led to people finding out that I was doing that on the side just for the fun of it, and um, so that kind of led to that, and then when we were uh, when I was a little older in high school, uh, we were having some fun uh, creating some of the skits for the assemblies and, yeah. uh, I had a really, really, um, a friend who just loved being in front of the audience. And so he kind of pulled some of my introvertedness out of me and got me up there. And we, uh, we would have, you know, we would have conversations, uh, with, a, a, a edited version of like Will Ferrell on, um, on the screen while we were in front of the audience and we would cut some of his movie clips and have a fake dialogue with Will Ferrell. And, and that was just kind of some of the fun things we were doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we just, we just had a lot of fun with it. I mean, we made, we did everything from skits about, we did one skit about a, a boy band at the time it was, you know, boy bands were the thing. right? And uh, so we, we did a skit and we made up a boy band of our own and <laughs> showed it in front of a couple thousand people. So <laughs> we just were having a good time, I guess.
0: Brilliant. Is there an archive with all that stuff? That's, that's- I
1: hope not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I hope so. That would be, uh, they, that's good stuff from back then. You know, when, you, when there's uh it, it's like fearless creativity, you're just having a good time.
1: Yeah. Play. That's well, well said, fearless creativity. Um, and I didn't, I didn't actually know that there was really anything there. I just kind of left it there yeah. uh, and then, uh, you know, went off to college and, and had no clue. Like so many 18 year old uh, kids who are, you know, one of the first in their family to go to college. Um, and didn't know how to navigate that. And, and to be honest, I, I left, I left university after one year because I was exploring a little bit. I thought I was going to go be a, uh, a sports trainer, a physical trainer. I was in communication for a, a while. I I was all over the place. I didn't really know what I liked, but I was always really, really drawn to the communication side, was always really drawn to the media and uh, always really drawn to psychology. So, long story short, I, I just entered into the workforce. I started uh, working, always just having a job pretty much from the age of of nineteen on. And um, as i as I kind of came up, I, I fell into sales and was doing sales and service, partnering with with an organization to sell uh, financial services and such. And during that time, I was, I decided to finally go back to school. So I was paying my way through, uh, through a, an art degree in audio production, thinking I was going to go produce music again. And, uh, while I was doing that, I was working with the, uh, the bank and doing the sales. And then also, you know, (laughs) in the evenings going to this art school and, uh, the, the, I was pretty I was pretty decent at sales. I did an okay job and the the sales enablement team came to me and said, "Hey, we, we would love to learn a little bit more about how you're selling and and you know, you've had some good success, so we want to try to help re- replicate that." So we actually ended up uh I got that got me just jazzed and I was like, "Let's do let's do something fun." So we just started the storytelling exercise where I went around to the organization and started recording all of the best of the best sellers and um got to use some of my my audio production and media production skills. In the workplace, long story short, that team um, we just had a blast doing that, and had you know everybody across the company listening, and uh, and from there they they said, hey, we'd love to have you come work with us and build learning and build education, and I had no idea that that was even a, a thing in in uh, in organizations. So I fell squarely into learning and development while I was going to to school for for this art degree. And immediately got to start applying some of the skills that I had learned uh, to like online instructional design, e-learning. And I had a blast doing it. I just took some of those wacky things that we were doing um, in high school and put it into an adult learning uh, uh, space. Uh, And then... Over time, just got good about it, got good at it, and fell back into psychology because I, I learned that there was such a, an important tie into how we learn and how we grow and how we develop, and just our well-being in general at work is so tied to to performance and and um, uh, you know a company's ability to succeed. And I just fell in love with it even more and more. And so I've you know eleven years later, here I am.
0: So this all started with someone coming to you and say, Keith, what you're doing when it comes to sales is really, is really working. We want to try and kind of deconstruct that and learn from you. And yeah. you in turn said, well, let's learn from others.
1: And- yeah. Well, you know, it was, it was,
0: uh,
1: I, I believe, um, it was them coming to several of us, several, just like, you know, when we go out and do a needs analysis or, uh, understand performance, uh, or, but, you know, a behavior analysis, um, they were looking at some of the best uh, folks around the company um, and helping us kind of like uh, share our stories. And I, I was like, I would love to get involved in in helping us do this with the rest of the salesforce.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean whenever you see the opportunity to to jump at something and learn, like you, you do so with great enthusiasm and curiosity, and that's what uh, I think you know makes for a great environment for the people to be be around it. Absolutely. Was there a developed and mature uh, L and D team there, or was that something that you co-created?
1: There was. There was a a learning and development team uh, primarily primarily doing a lot of instructional uh, or instructor led learning, mm-hmm. and um, the the sales team had their own sales curriculum that they were um, they had uh, partnered with a, a third party vendor to um, to deliver. And so that's about the time that I joined the sales side of learning and development and was really focused on sales and customer service. Um, over time, um, we merged that group um, and uh, actually was part of the, I, I was able to take on a leadership position at that point. And we transitioned a lot of our instructor led to virtual online learning. Uh, that way we could scale, um, you know, at the time it was it was, we had several branches across the uh, across the state and wanted to make sure that we were delivering learning and not having to to have everybody fly in. So we were doing a, a blended learning approach and my team got to help build that. And I believe a lot of it is still being used today. Awesome.
0: I want to uh, dig into your your love and passion of psychology and how you, you've you been weaving that into yeah. uh, your approach on learning. What's uh, a theory or a construct in psychology that that stands out to you, that guides you, that, that you wish more people knew about?
1: Mm, that's a great question. I don't know if there's one. It's a hard question for for me to answer. And um, I, I I've been looking a lot at, at like growth mindset, Carol Dweck's work. I think that's a huge, uh, a huge part of, of how I think about our space. Uh, I'll actually, I'll say a, a concept in, and, uh, maybe a theory that's being proven out through psychology that I hold more close is actually from philosophy, um, the Stoic philosophy. And uh, you know, there's <laughs> there's a lot of great great quotes uh, that come out of of the Stoic philosophers. But one one comes from a gentleman by the name of Zeno. He's one of the early Stoic philosophers, and he said, um, "Everyone wants to change the world. No one wants to change themselves." And I think there's something really fascinating and that we're seeing as we learn more about the, the way the human mind works, that, that there's a lot of truth to that. We see problems everywhere, right? And it's very hard to see problems within ourselves. It's very hard to develop ourselves. It takes a lot of work. I mean, the work around habit formation is a good example of of how it's easy to create habits, but it's a lot hard to de- harder to deconstruct and recreate new habits. Mm-hmm. The same is true with um, bias. So um, one of my favorite uh, favorite pieces of work is the uh, System One and System Two thinking. Um, Daniel Kahneman has a really great book, System One or uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, and that that to me is is such an important psychological concept to know in in order to help really develop yourself. If you want to change the world. You have to first change and develop yourself, and there's a lot of things that are standing in our way, um, such as bias that yeah. are really challenging to overcome.
0: Keith, unpack um, system one, system two, Kahneman's work a, a bit more, and, yeah. and um, you know, how would you explain it to the to the layperson? Yeah, it, it's it, the the t- The book
1: title does a really good job: "Thinking Fast and Slow." So, system one thinking is our automated responses. This is anything, this is everything from, um, uh, a car drives in front of us and our eyes dart to that car. We see a squirrel drive by and we, we are, uh, our instinct is to see it and look at it really fast. So it's that fast thinking It's that automated thinking system two thinking is our more deliberate. So system one comes from our amygdala. It's a little bit more of our animal brain system. Two is our frontal lobe. It's the critical reasoning. It's that's that. that that oh the car darted in front of me it's okay oh wait it's not threatening me it's not actually driving at me it's just happened to be driving past oh that squirrel it's fine um, there's nothing it's just a squirrel there was nothing actually happening over there so it's it's a little bit more about critical reasoning what why this is so important i mean especially in our in our conversation today around uh, inequality in the workplace and inequality in society in general is that we have systems of thinking that are Um, are so fast that we don't even recognize if we are being inequitable. And uh, there's obviously a lot of conversation around unconscious bias right now. And that's where that's system one, our unconscious biases are often um, built into that system one thinking are built into that system one thinking. And if we were to unpack even bias a little bit more, there's a really great model that comes out of the Neuroleadership Institute called the SEEDS model. And it's, it's, it's a very simple way to unpack what's happening in bias because there are hundreds of, of cognitive biases. You've probably heard a few of them, the availability heuristic, um, confirmation bias, negativity bias, the list goes on and on and on. So to help categorize bias or system one thinking, um, there's the, the seeds model. So it is similarity, something that looks like me, something that is like me, something that thinks like me. Uh, is good, right? There's expedience bias, which I think is probably is is just system one thinking. What it is that fast, reactive um, thinking, experience bias.
0: That, would you say recency bias is tied into that?
1: Recency bias is actually uh, yes, and there's uh, there is another one that's called distance bias when we get to the D. Okay. So. Um, distance bias, if we're skipping ahead, distance bias is something that's closer to me, either in time or in proximity. Um, that is, that is more recent. So distance, uh, again, space time, um, are, and that's true in even the virtual world is what what a lot of the studies are showing. So distance bias. And then there's a, there's experience bias. My experiences are more valuable to me because I experienced them. So they are more true. Um, and then I'm spacing on the last one right now.
0: <laughs> you, you got it. You, 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 you jumped ahead yeah. to D. You went, um, so it's um, uh, distance, oh, thank experience, expedience, and um, what was the S?
1: Yeah, you got similarity, experience, expedience, distance, and then uh, safety. So uh, this uh, bad is stronger than good. We, our minds are much more readily uh, can readily recall things that are negative. Uh, think, I mean, even think back to our, if we look at our our, you know, evolutionary biology, we're out in the woods. We don't have a lot of protection. A tiger comes. That's scary. I'm going to run. I'm going to protect myself. Um, so our brains wired our, our bodies and our minds to be on the lookout for negative things or things that could cause us harm. And what's shocking about this is that this isn't this. These are built automated systems that are built into us that we have today. Even though we're very safe comparatively, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of of what's happening in the in just in the news media, or even in the workplace. A news media example is um, uh, the the trend. So I was looking at the study. Um, there's a study done that uh, went out and looked at trending words and um, sentiment in news in news for through the last uh, year, since like the 60s. There is a trend from more neutral or even positive language to much more negative or neutral or negative language in general. And that's like downward trending like crazy up, up into today. What's even more shocking is that our uh our actual safety for example has increased dramatically over those same number of years so the ex- the that strong is bad, uh, better than good is absolutely being exploited by our news media and um of course it is because that's how we're, how we're wired even though safety for example in in your average modern day life is much higher than it ever has been
0: meaning we're we're um... Living safer lives, there's better healthcare, there's better safety security mechanisms. We're wearing seatbelts now. We're at another time we weren't. And yet the words that are selected in the news media are projecting a, a, a grimmer reality than is potentially there. Correct. It was, it was there.
1: That is there. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we could this is true of life expectancy. This is true of um wealth. Uh, yeah. This is true of uh, I mean safety, I already used. this is true of our ability to have clean water and and um, feed. Uh. now, all of this isn't to say that suddenly like we fixed it, right? We know there's a, there's still massive issues with inequality. We know there's still massive issues with um, uh, uh, gun violence in the u s. and we're still seeing a lot of, I mean, look what's happens in, in Myanmar and uh, with genocide still happening and in China with um, the Rohingya Muslims being, you know, put into enculturation camps, basically uh, being enslaved. And so the, the it's not to say that the, that there's not like this, that we fixed it, but rather that it's that there's our biases are at play when we're reading the news every day. And we forget sometimes that we've made a lot of progress and that that things maybe are not as grim as you said, as they really are.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's the impact that you're seeing within organizations around this bias? And, I, and I, I think the seed model is a phenomenal way of breaking down all of the different biases there that, that become so lengthy that uh, it's an eye chart. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: it's, it's a great
1: question. I, the, the most obvious one, I think, is if we were to look at the diversity of our organizations. And there's there is uh, we're doing some work right now in inclusive recruiting and hiring. And uh, what we know is that you know there's some systematic issues, some um, like literally systematic issues with uh, recruiting software or um, uh, resume software that is actually biased to certain type of words that are usually a little bit more masculine. Um, also there is some human bias that, that the studies are showing that if a certain name, let's take a, a, a traditionally white male name, is on a resume versus a name that may be from a Eastern Asian culture, for example, the uh, the bias of the of the person reviewing the resume may lean towards the white male name, and so there's. That's, that could be related to several of the seeds biases. It could be related to similarity bias. That's probably the most obvious. Uh, it could be related to experience bias. Um, I've worked with a lot of white males and that those white males are capable and, and skilled. So therefore that's a, a good profile to look at. So that's, that's, that's one example I, I would say. And I think we could, we could break that down even further. Um, another one that I'm noticing in the pandemic is actually the the bad is stronger than good um I, you know i think we've all talked about and i don't i don't want to di- diminish or downplay how hard this year and a half has been that has been it has been a very challenging year i mean something like 96 to 98 percent of employees are reporting that their work um, life balance that their uh, well-being in general has dramatically decreased that's almost 100 almost 100 percent of people are saying that over the last year and a half we have our our well-being has reduced what I'm curious about is because of that is is it kind of the same thing as what's happening with the news media are we so worried and so um, conditioned to this this the negativity that we forget some of the wonderful things that have happened and you know I think uh, you know if i if I were to use some specific, some specifics of of, of biases: uh, strong is better than good, or stronger. Stay up. bad is stronger than good, right? So negativity resonates within our mind, so we see that. And then uh, something bad happens, or something is really hard and challenging to figure out. So that confirms to me that things are really bad. And then that confirmation bias. Is staying with me every time I see uh, something that's negative. It it continues to reaffirm that. Mm-hmm. And then when I um, uh, ask the question about how is your engagement and, and performance at work, my availability heuristic or my expedience, my recency bias kicks in, and I say things have been really hard. Mm-hmm. So I think you know we we have an opportunity in our organizations to really focus on. Uh, at the individual, at the team, or more uh, broad level, and then at the organizational level of how we're addressing uh, some of this negativity that is in the workplace, and also the the mental health issues that are happening. Um, that, that if we don't address both the the our perception of what's happening as well as our actual well being, it's going to just continue to spiral. And yeah. we're going to continue to see pain and, and frustration.
0: Yeah, what have you? Um done or what what are you seeing that's effective to get ahead of the system that reinforces bad being stronger than good? Mm -hmm. And, um, this, this, um, this kind of cyclical confirmation bias of these other biases that you're speaking to.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is to recognize that, that there is a problem that, that the burnout that our mental health at work is there is issues with that. And that's not just because of the pandemic that's been, I mean, prior to the pandemic, there was a, there was a study that was done around uh, adult stress in and uh, symptoms of stress in the workplace. And something like 77% um, of people has said they have experienced uh, symptoms of stress in the work because of the workplace. 77%, that's huge. Now it's gone up because of the pandemic, but so this is something we should be addressing in general. So the, that's, that's the first thing is we have to recognize that it is happening. I don't want to, again, I don't want to diminish the fact that it is. Uh, but then the second thing is, is actually putting in um, uh, systems in place to help us address it. And what, what, so an example, we, we worked with a company, a uh, large techno, uh, technical company out of the Northwest uh, multinational company, and we actually did a, uh, a, a workshop we called Thrive Together. And we ran it both with the leadership organization uh, and did a separate uh, session with them and then all employees. And why I'm saying that this is a, an important thing to do is because what we focused on, we didn't focus on how do we prevent burnout. I mean, that's, that is impor- essentially of a lot of what we were doing. What we were actually focusing on is how do we build resiliency? Mm-hmm. And that's a mindset shift that starts to get to, you know, um, uh, almost that self-fulfilling prophecy concept. Um, but the, the purpose of that session was to normalize that we all feel stress, that we all feel difficulty and that our uh, ability to manage difficult situations and manage our response to those difficult situations is how we build resiliency and how we thrive. And there's a bunch of, uh, of scientific research that shows there's some specific things that we can do as individuals, and there's things that we can do as teams and organizations to help us thrive. And by changing that dialogue uh, from, you know, we need to fix burnout, and the way we're going to fix burnout is by changing our schedules or, you know, changing our day-to-day, to burnout is real, how do we prevent it, and how do we create an environment where we're connected we have safety, um, and we have the ability to have conversations about mental health and well-being in the workplace in a very real way, that changes the dialogue and allows us to focus on how we can move forward together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at um, resilience research, we know that if leaders model that first, then it creates a space for others to step into it as well. It, It seems so obvious, and yet the notion of leadership is I can't show that I am that I am burnt out. I need to work harder for my team. Mm-hmm. I'm reinforcing exactly what I don't want to reinforce by doing that. So the the program that that you're speaking to, Keith, uh, I love the reframe of saying like this is a real thing. How do we model the p- behaviors to address it as opposed to just trying to fix symptoms of the problem? Um, that will always be there to a, to a certain extent. There are there are work stressors. They have always been there. Absolutely. Um,
1: gosh, there's this really great book. Um, it's called burnout, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle. And, um, I'm trying to find it if I, if I have it here. Yeah, I do. I think it's under that stack. So it's, uh, Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. Uh, and they wrote this amazing book and it's, it's really about how do we address the problem of burnout? And what I loved about it is that they weren't looking at it through the lens of the workplace only, which is interesting because the, the world health organization actually defines it as an occupational uh, mm-hmm. condition, which if we really start to look at it, there's and 2020 and 2021 have shown us that there is no way to separate work and life stress. They, they, our our human psyche doesn't suddenly say okay i'm off work now i that stress is gone no it's it's cumulative right and so um their their concept is is wonderful because they talk about not just how do we manage manage uh, uh stress it's stress and our response to it because these things again are are cyclical they add up um and so it's 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 been they have some really great research and um one of the quotes actually Have it written down because it's been one I want to keep top of mind for myself. Let me see if I can find it in my notebook. Um, I don't have it right here, but I'll I'll give you the essence of it. So their their concept is um, to be well isn't to live in a perpetual state of harmony. To be well is to be able to navigate times of risk, adversity, difficulty, and be able to apply strategies and approaches to help us swing back into a state of calm and then out again. Mm-hmm. And the reality of, of burnout is that there's no like one silver bullet that fixes it. It's a, it's a, it's a perpetual um, struggle and it's a perpetual. Um, uh, it's something you have to constantly do and think about.
0: Yep. You know, a lot of what we're talking about is the, the, the onus and opportunity on individuals to manage it through resilience and, and understanding the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is your perspective on the responsibility of organizations um, specifically during the pandemic, but we're going into some version of a, of a different world, right? right. Uh, What responsibility do organizations have uh, to understand the stimulus that they're creating for their employees?
1: Yeah. And the, and the, the environment, um, to manage when, because again, difficulty is going to happen and change is going to have, we're going to go through another change curve when we have some blended hybrid model of, of back to work. So it's not just the stimulus that we're creating as organizations, but it's also the environment that we create in order to address mental health and well being in the workplace as well. So it's a few things. I think, um, uh, I think about this as kind of in, in three tiers. There's the individual responsibility to manage your own your own well being, and that's um, that's really crucial. Uh, when we start applying some of these tactics and approaches, it's only as good as the the norms, the uh, the space in which your leadership team, so your teams, um, create. So, for example, one of the one of the known uh, approaches to to managing uh, our stress response is to have uh, an environment of connectedness. So, being connected to people who genuinely care about you. And so what was our response in 2020? We said, we're going to do a bunch of happy hours, we're going to do virtual events, we're going to do virtual team builders. What happened? People got burned out from virtual team events. And so this the research shows that it cannot be a mandated from, uh, the top down type of interventions for those, for that type of connection connectedness, rather the environment that we create as leaders has to allow for and invite people to find ways to connect that are meaningful to them personally. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, let's, let's, I mean, don't get me wrong. Happy hours and things like that virtually are, are wonderful and they can be a great thing. Um, however, when it's, when it's, uh, created from the leadership team in order to try to force some sort of connectedness, it doesn't work. So rather we have to create the environments that, that, uh, allow for the, for the teams to be able to do that and feel safe and comfortable that, that we as leaders are going to allow them to do that.
0: Yeah. What are some specifics, Keith? I mean, you're, it's a great point that you're bringing up. Um, the happy hours have run their course. How do you create mm-hmm. the organic, um, genuine connection points?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of the hardest things. So, um, uh, one of the things that we've been trying is, uh, we will, um, we will, here's one that we've, I've seen a few companies do, uh, have a half day or full day, uh, every week that's dedicated to no meeting time. Mm -hmm. And saying to the the team that, that it can be used for, you know, productivity, of course. Uh, but then other things like, how do you be more strategic thinking or find ways to partner and connect with each other? And so simple things like that, saying, we're not going to schedule meetings for you. We're not going to have team meetings. Uh, and we encourage you to have a, have a time to, to connect with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one really simple example. Um, the other is to, to uh, host events or things. We're doing our Thrive Together workshop and we're doing it 100% optional. And it is if, if that's something that you need as a team member, then you want to join, you're totally welcome, but we're not mandating. It's not a, it's not a HR type of training that we're requiring to help you not burn out. It's a, hey, if you're feeling uh, like you need some connection and some uh, place to, to talk about this, it's, it's here for you. And so uh things like that creating the space uh, in a in a way that allows people to to join if they want it's optional um that's another one
0: Is that helping yeah yeah cool so you were talking about the individual level the team level mm-hmm. and then i and then i jumped into the question
1: no and then there's the company level a couple other things about the team level though um I think team having the, we talk about it a lot, having the team norm conversation right now is really important. Um, a good example is, you know, we, we talk about, oftentimes we talk about time management and in the, in this world of blended work and life and kids working from home and school schedules changing um, that changes the dynamic of how our working hours happen. And uh, I've talked to a lot. of. I talk, was talking to a leader uh, at a different company who was saying, I can't work from one o'clock PM to 4 PM. I have to be focused on my kids. I have to be focused on making sure everything's taken care of at home. So that means my, my working hours have to be from five to to six, five or five to eight. And that, that is a scary thought for a lot of people. And so by having that conversation at the leadership level to say what are our norms, what is acceptable, how can we negotiate with each other on how we can uh, make sure that the work still gets done and that people feel like they have the flexibility they need to be uh, to be present in their life—that's that's really important. So at the team level, we have to be able to have those conversations around um, around how we can help our employees navigate that.
0: Yeah. What I've what I've seen with that as well, with um, especially with senior leadership, communicating the why behind needing to adjust hours for work so that not you're not setting the expectation that I am now setting emails in the evening and you you're receiving emails in the evening. And so you might be inclined to respond to that email, even though you were working during the afternoon when I was off. And again, the transparency of this is what's going on for me, that does not mean that you need to, to experience or, or act in kind. Um, then you extrapolate people working remotely. And so we now have teams across multiple time zones, even more, and it stretches the day out, you, you know, compounds it even further. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Nailed it. It's a great example.
0: Um,
1: you asked about the organizational level. So the the company level, the, Obviously, the things that we're talking about right now would apply to a broader organization, Um, but there's also some other things that companies can do. And and one, um, and I've been doing a lot of research around this lately, um, investing in uh, well-being and mental health, specifically mental health uh, type of interventions at work. And this is a hard one because the, the, the natural response would be, well, we have employee assistance programs. I think something like 80% of companies have employee assistance programs. I, I mean, you could probably guess how many people actually use employee assistance programs. It's like 10%. And this is just one of those things that is, is it's a really powerful tool. I'm not saying get rid of employee assistance programs. However, at the executive and the senior level, we need to be talking about why they're important and how they work and what we can use with them. And if you've had an example of using EAP, then talk about it. I think there's a stigma around some well-being in our American culture, but definitely in the workplace. Um, and even in working with other HR professionals, we have to be careful. We absolutely have to be careful um, about uh, we're we're not mental health professionals. I'm not a mental health professional. Um, I have a background in psychology. I understand mental health and well being at work, but I cannot diagnose things like depression and anxiety. Um, and it's really important that that we can have those discussions. And you have to walk this tightrope. So. The other thing that uh, companies can do is start to invest more in mental health, uh, well-being coaching in the in the workplace. How do how do I as a leader have a conversation with my team about something that is potentially very uh, uh, HR sensitive, and, but also make sure that I'm creating an environment where people can feel like they're their authentic selves? So companies at the at the high level need to help us. Uh, do that as leaders. And we need, we need to be uh, proponents for mental health coaching in the workplace.
0: Have you, have you seen that, um, done being done in an effective way, or do you have examples of how you've done that with your own team that have worked? Um, sadly, I don't, I, I think this is,
1: you know, this is something I'm still just starting to really explore. Um, and I do see, uh, I do see more company. I mean, I think every company these days has, a. uh, a health and well being uh, program, and a portion of that is mental health. What I typically see is that it's resources, guides for that self improvement piece, which is, again, absolutely critical. Thinking back to our Zeno quote of needing to, if we need to change the world, we also need to change our own behaviors. Um, but uh, what I haven't seen a lot of is investing in, in mental health professionals helping companies get good at this. And so I'd like to do more research there. And it's something that I've, I've been wanting to spend more time in, but it's, it's hard to find, um, so far, but I do know it's out there. Um, actually I was just reading a chief learning officer magazine that was a proponent for this similar, um, similar concept. Um, but they were struggling even to demonstrate some examples in the workplace. So yeah, more is needed needed for sure.
0: The stigma is strong, Right. Um, the the recognition that working with a mental health professional is a sign of sickness um, or or weakness or a deficiency in some way, as opposed to looking at it again, that flip of, you know, bad being strong of the good that, uh, you know, this is about maintenance and that um, the human condition is, is really challenging. And um, you know, I'm of the belief that everybody should, they want it, should have a therapist and a coach. They serve different purposes. Get your board of directors together. Uh, You know, you can't really have enough support. And there are on the good days, you don't need it. And that's great. And on the other days, when you do, you're so glad that that you have that system in place. And it comes back to connection and community um, and an outlet for uh, for finding the support that you need. It can't always come from, from the internal team. And I find within a lot of organizations right now, the pressure over the last year has been we need to be that connection for one another. And that can only go so far. You know the, the yeah. organization can only carry so much responsibility for that. Um, it's a double edged sword to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I I love that idea of everybody needs a uh, therapist and a coach. I, I couldn't agree more. And and you said something that stands out to me on those on those good days when you don't need it. Those are the days that you get to do the the really meaningful forward looking work and. Uh, I had a therapist who helped me um, think about a lot of, of who I wanted to be and, and, uh, and the values that I wanted to hold um, and how to live in accordance with those and work uh, and work through work into that versus always being in that state of reactivity. Um, And it was, it's been a really powerful, it's been really powerful, powerful for me um, through my life. So um, yeah, you did bring up another thing Uh, talking about, the organization's responsibility to help create connectivity and it, it can't the onus can't fall all on um, each us as individuals and each other uh, that being said i do think that another thing that large companies can do or, or organizations can do is create employee resource groups around things like mental health and well-being um whether that's communities uh, or um, dedicated employee resources resource groups that are uh, either you know dealing with, uh, mental health, um, disorders or things like that directly. Um, I think that's another really powerful, powerful way to, that organizations can help support it.
0: Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, the, the, the more that can be done by organizations, Keith, the better in, and, and yet, um, there is a, um, there's a connective tissue in, in our society that, that that is missing we have we have our communities within our organizations we have our communities within our within our spheres of friends and family there is a missing connective tissue about connection with each other and it's only magnified by the fact that we walk around the streets with masks on and whatnot um but those types of um community groups men's groups women's groups you know opportunities for people from from across um socioeconomic boundaries and organizational boundaries and different cultures to come together and like, and just talk about what it means to be human and to eliminate the, the identity that we carry within organizations. I mean, it's, um, it's a badge of honor in many respects. And, and in some respects, it can be a bit of a burden to, to uphold, uh, title and responsibility. And I think that becomes an added pressure for, uh, for our leaders specifically to say I need to carry the burden of this for my team. I can't show them that, that I'm that I'm struggling. Where's an outlet for those people? It's hard to do that within within a business.
1: Yeah, really well said. I think you you are hitting the nail on the head, and uh, I think that's one of the biggest things that we need to think about as leaders is how can we, uh, from the last year and a half, learn from the fact that work and life they are they are absolutely in inseparable and how do we create the the conversations and the support needed to to allow for them to be more integrated into the future
0: yeah you know as we're having this conversation i'm reflecting on uh a time right after we first met and i i don't remember exactly you know how many days or weeks before but um when we were on, we were at a team retreat or something and you and I mm-hmm. just started at Slalom together, like a week mm-hmm. apart, maybe it was even a day or two apart. And uh, we were at some hotel in like a library room. And I remember saying to you, Keith, you have a tremendous uh, gift as a teacher and that you can bring um, separate complex ideas into, um, into meaning in a way that really resonates people and it sticks. And this conversation is uh, a pinnacle example of that there's so much value that you've shared but it's not just that you've cited research and that you've thought about this it's the way that you have brought it together makes it accessible um so uh, this is this is one of those conversations i'm going to go back and actually listen to it because there's things that you said here that, that that were so good um but this has been tremendous and thanks for sharing your knowledge and your gift man with all of us thank you
1: Wow. Thank you, Masmo. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you for for asking some of these really meaningful questions that we don't get to think about every day. And uh, I'll be honest, some of these ideas uh, don't come until, until someone like you who can ask such great questions and, and guide that conversation. Uh, it doesn't come out as naturally. So thank you for the space.
0: Yeah, well, but we will have to do it again. And until the next time, thank you everyone for listening. And thanks again, Keith. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to an episode of The Leadership Mind. New episodes will be coming out every few weeks, so please stay tuned. And in the meantime, think about what stories are you telling yourself? What realities are you crafting in your mind that may not be true and may be limiting your ability to connect, lead, and grow? Thanks for listening and have a great day.